0: Happy New Year. It's a good time of year, I think, and uh, I always enjoy uh, coming into a new year, reflecting, uh, Renault and I and, and Phoebe last night were just reflecting on 2011 and talking about all the incredible things that uh, God has done and been faithful in right throughout 2011 and uh, what we can look forward to in, uh, in 2012. Uh, before I get started, can we just uh, read Ephesians chapter 1? And I'll pray and get stuck into it. Ephesians chapter 1 and reading from verse 9 and 10. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9 and 10. And it says this, God has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of his will. According to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we, uh, as we come today and uh, as we search out your word, as I uh, teach from your word, I just invite You, Holy Spirit to come and dwell and, uh, and just be in our midst right now today. Uh, Holy Spirit, please guide me and lead me in, uh, in exactly what you want to be said today. Uh, take my plans and uh, what I've got and take it in the direction that you want it so that it uh, reaches our hearts and not just our heads today and has great impact for this year. pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, today I'm going to talk about, well, I'm going to start talking about resolutions. Uh, knowing... Uh, that We're going to look at some statistics which would suggest that resolutions are just a tad bit of a waste of time, all right, if you, uh, if you leave them undone. And, uh, but we're also going to look at plans and um, it, it sort of comes, probably as a bit of a surprise to some of you who may know me, uh, if you knew me 10 years ago, I was the guy who always wanted to be the kick back, laid back, go with the flow sort of guy. I didn't really want to have plans, I just wanted to go with the flow because I thought that was cool, like that's really nice. And people would like me if I was that sort of guy, you know, like just laid back, don't have a plan, everything will be sweet, no worries. So I didn't tend to worry all that much about anything um, and just went with the flow. Um, And, in fact, last year I was told that uh, the the word organisation and Nathan Gilmore just don't really go together. (laughs) So, I'm talking about plans today, not because I've got it all together, not because uh, I'm a really, really planned guy, but over the last 10 years, probably literally 10 years, uh, being a teacher, you just can't be unplanned. <laughs> you can't walk into a classroom off the hat uh, and not know what you're doing and not know what you're going to talk about. Well, I can't anyway. I need to have a plan. And uh, hopefully we're going to learn also that uh, God has plans. God is not just a random God who uh, does things at a whim or does things as a knee-jerk reaction, but he is a very planned God. All right? Uh, So, let's get right into it. New Year's Day, and uh, probably the one thing that you might have heard about over the last few days or a week is New Year's resolutions. Well, uh, I looked up some stats uh, about New Year's resolutions, because I thought, is is a New Year's resolution really what we want to be doing? Uh, Everyone talks about them, but how many of them are actually fulfilled? If it's anything like my life, I make a New Year's resolution, and I get to the end of the year and go, What New Year's resolution? I can't even remember what resolution it was. And maybe that's the same for you. But the statistics are 45% of people usually set New Year's resolutions. 38% absolutely never set resolutions. So we've probably got a bunch of people in here who are like that. You either do or you don't. Or maybe somewhere in between. Only 8% of people are always successful in achieving their resolutions. That's maybe 1 in 10. 1 in 10, just a bit less than 1 in 10. 19 uh, percent achieve their resolutions every other year. Twenty-four percent, one in four people, never succeed and have failed on every resolution every year. That's some good hope, isn't it? Who's setting in these resolutions already? Anybody set them already? Yeah, some people, okay, that's good. It, well, it might be good. Not according to this. You're probably, you know, a quarter of a chance of never actually achieving those resolutions. Uh, Here's another stat. The punchline is there's no correlation between happiness and resolution setting or success. People who achieve their resolutions every year are no happier than those who did not set resolutions or who are unsuccessful in achieving them. You might not have heard of Stephen Shapiro. I never had either, but I thought I'd better check his credentials. And uh, he's an innovation consultant, so he just, he's very innovative, has very creative ideas. And he, he consults with NASA VP in the US Air Force. So I thought, yeah, he's a bit of a reliable guy by the sound of it. So the question is, should we make resolutions or should we not? Should we, uh, should we make all these nice sort of ideas about things we'd like to change? You've probably got things you want to change for next year. You want to lose weight. Some of the, some of the statistics talked about losing weight, uh, better finances and uh, greater success in, in work. I think, and stop smoking. That was high on, the, high on the list as well. So the possibilities for this year could be endless. They could be endless for you. Uh, the question is whether you actually plan to actually make those possibilities come about if you actually plan to make those resolutions uh, come about. Uh, Planning can sometimes, though, be a way to feed our pride. Planning can sometimes be a way to feed our pride because uh, we actually desire for ultimate power and control in our lives. So we make plans and uh, we think, yep, all right, everything's planned out and everything's set, everything's cool, and you think, yeah, I'm in control. I think I've got things covered, I've got everything worked out, everything's in the plan uh, and, and we think we've got everything in control. And then something goes wrong and your plans are pretty well stuffed <laughs> and you've got nowhere to turn because you had it in control. So most of the time people turn to God in some desperate cry and some desperate plea. Here's the opposite though, no planning is also pride. Because you think in not planning anything, all right, I can't fail, I'm comfortable, I can be secure. I don't have to plan, I can just uh, just go on with my life and not worry about anything. Well, the truth is that's being proud as well because you still think you're in control of your life by not planning. Uh, We've become, and, and here's the big problem I think, sometimes with planning. By the end of the message I'm going to tell you to plan by the way, so don't miss the point. <laughs> Don't miss the point, but here's the big thing. When you, uh, when you plan, uh, sometimes you become the central. It means that you actually get to be the most important in your life and you start thinking that all these things in your life uh, that you actually have control over and you become the penultimate. You become the most important in your life, the central factor in your life. And that's why I think when plans don't go the way we wanted, to, wanted them to, we start to get really bitter. We maybe point the finger at God and say, why did, why did you do this? Because we think he's about our plans. And what I'm going to hopefully show you today is that uh, he's very much not. Security and protection. Here's why I, uh, I'm just going to burst a bit of a bubble here, I hope. Our culture seems to be bent on owning our lives, controlling and securing our own world. One huge way we protect our life and make our lives secure, we think, is with insurance. Is with insurance. Uh, what do you do with your house and contents? You insure it. It'd be silly not to, really. You, you insure it. What do you do with your car? You insure it. What, if, what do you do with your phone on a plane? You get mobile phone insurance. Uh, what do you do with your marriage? If you are uh, out there, uh, you get a prenuptial agreement so that if anything happens, all right, I'm secure, I can get out. <laughs> Basically uh, is the idea of a prenuptial agreement. But here's the question though, before I go to that, NRMA Insurance Company, I thought I'd look up an insurance company and just find out what's their story. They exist because when you're getting on with living your life, the last thing you want is to be worrying about worst case scenarios. So that's what we're here for, to make sure you don't ever have to worry. They think they've got your life just perfectly under control. They'll be able to handle everything that comes and uh, you don't have to worry about anything. Uh, You don't have to worry about the things you ought to be enjoying. But here's the question. When floodwaters come and ravage your house and come rising up into your house, what's the first thing you do? Ah, kick back in the recliner. Insurance will cover it. Yeah, it'll be sweet. No worries at all. No, you actually start to panic. You get pretty anxious. I was getting pretty anxious when water was flowing down over the back fences, the retainer walls. We had like a water feature flowing down into our backyard and uh, water starts rising up above the edge of the concrete, uh, up the bricks, up the bricks, almost in, like it was about this far coming, off, coming into our house. Uh, many of you would probably know, numerous others who lost their whole house under floodwaters and, uh, and we know that insurance companies didn't pay up. <laughs> so all this hope and all this security we had in an insurance company, it didn't work. It ended up being failed. Uh, Maybe you secure yourself by staying indoors and building high fences. Maybe you secure and protect yourself by overexposure. Uh, some parents have this idea, uh, with their kids in particular, this is the thought that came to my head, uh, have this idea that uh, they overexpose their kids to alcohol uh, and, and give their kids you know, all that they want in alcohol and hope that that will secure their future because they'll be able to make the right choices about alcohol or movies, or relationships, or whatever it is, so you get overexposed, and somehow that actually secures their future because they get to make the right choices. Uh, Maybe that's what you do. Maybe you get security from having a full fridge or a pantry. Yeah, everything's cool. The fridge is full of food. We'll be sweet. Uh, Maybe you get security from toys, having lots of toys. It doesn't stop at a little kid. It grows up into adulthood where you get lots of toys and you feel like, yep, this is sweet, I think everything's going to be okay. I've got a car, I've got a nice car, I've got houses, I've got a boat, uh, I've got an Xbox. Whatever it is, we'll probably have ideas about things that make us secure. A savings account, or maybe it's the fact that family is close by. And the question is, what do you do when one of these is taken away? What what do you do when your security blanket gets pulled out from underneath you? Do you get really bitter? Do you just lose the plot (laughs) when something gets taken away? And that would be a question of where does your true security actually lie? We plan to put our trust for security in ourselves and we plan to put our trust for security in others. The mirage of security, it's like a mirage, this whole idea that we actually get security in all these things. It's a bit of a mirage. Uh, Who's heard of the Stratfall group? If you watched 7.30 the other night, you would have uh, seen something about the Stratfall group. Uh, well, the Stratfor Group is actually a uh, firm, a security firm, who provide global intelligence to some of the major world corporations, US Department of Defence, Google, Coke, Sony and Boeing. So they actually provide insurance and security for all these, uh, all these big companies. And the company's primary focus is to help clients with security. They also establish security newsletters that are available to the general public. Stratfor is known for its secrecy, especially its top secret cl- Client list, until they found out Christmas Eve that a hacking uh, group called Anonymous hacked into their computer system and released information about uh, credit cards and uh, personal information of most of their big clients of a problem when you're actually the major security person in the whole world. One of the major ones. Here's what the email said from Stratford to its subscribers. At our expense we've taken measures to provide our members whose credit card information may have been compromised with access to CSID, a leading provider of global identity protection and fraud detection solutions and technologies. So you put your trust in us for your security, we failed so we're going to pay lots of money so you can put your trust in somebody else and their security. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Ah, So this whole idea of security just becomes this great big mirage uh, that none of us actually ever actually know that we're secure. Here's what John Piper said. All of our plans for tomorrow's activities can be shattered by a thousand unknowns, whether we stay at home under the covers or ride the freeways. You know what? No matter where you go, no matter where you are, you could walk out of this building and have a heart attack. You could walk out of this building and find out you have cancer. I hope not. I hope not. But that is entirely possible. The truth is that we don't actually have full security and control over our lives. We just don't. 2011, you may have actually found out that really, really difficultly. You you may have had a difficult year. Or you may have had a great year. Uh, You might actually find that in 2012, uh, there will be difficult times. So where will your security lie? Will it lie in your own planning and the fact that you've got everything in line? What happens when those plans fail? Here's where it gets really good. Looking at the plans of God. Consider with me the fact that God is a God who makes plans. He's not a random God. He's not a God who uh, has knee-jerk responses to stimuli like John Piper says here. I don't think it is even possible to conceive a God who does not act according to his own eternal planning. Eternal planning. Eternal planning. The plans of God are not just from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. The plans of God are eternal. They go from eternity past and into eternity future. And he's God right throughout. That is a God who has knee-jerk responses to stimuli rather than deliberate actions that fit into a wise purpose. Deliberate actions that fit into a wise purpose. So, the God of the Bible interlocks his heaven with his creation. This is, this is something incredible. And you know what? There's actually some errors that we sometimes may fall into. Uh, I'll go back to that. Three errors regarding God's involvement in creation. You see, sometimes we get this idea that God's this God who created everything but then left. See you later, I'm done, I'm gone, and uh, he's not actually involved in creation. Maybe you actually think about this for your own life. You go, you know what, God's done with me. I've I've had the worst year. God's just done with me. He, He couldn't be involved in this. How could he be involved in this? No way. And so you get this idea of deism. God and creation are completely separate. And uh, what happens is, well, n Wright puts it this way. In this ideology, people just need to get used to the world being this way. No God will ever intervene, either to help or to harm. If you're rich, have everything, have servants who tend to your every beckoning call, and having no deity is not such a big deal until something goes wrong. But if you're poor, your life is harsh, cruel and despairing. Living in this cold, nasty and wicked world, then the best hope is to escape it by death. Really, that's the ultimate thing. Dude. Like All you've got left is to commit suicide. Take your life. Why would you live in this world if that's the sort of God that you worship? He's gone. He's left. He's out of here. What about the next one? Pantheism. God is everywhere and everywhere is God. Think about that for a moment. God is everywhere and everywhere is God. God is everything and everything is God. So, what do you do? You get in touch with and in tune with the divinity within and within the world around you. Look inside yourself because you are God. And you'll find all your identity and all the answers to life. I was watching uh, Happy Feet last night with Phoebe, a bit of a New Year's celebration for Happy Feet, and uh, and I was watching it and I thought about this in relation to uh, when the little penguins are all born and they go to Penguin School and you hear them and the teacher says, "So, boys and girls," <laughs> with this crazy voice, and uh, and and she ends up saying, or this little penguin says. You know what? You know where you find your identity, your heart song? This is who you really are. You look within. So, let's just stop for a moment and look within. This is pantheism. Look within yourself because that's where you're going to find all the answers. But check this out. Uh, In this ideology, there are numerous gods, so if something went wrong, you could blame a god or goddess who was out to get you. So, yoga would be another example of this. But then it extended on from there to panentheism, where God is everything and everywhere, and God is in everything and everywhere. So, you just worship creation. You worship nature, because that's worshipping God. Sounds a bit confusing. But the problem with these two, pantheism and panentheism, is that they can't actually deal with pain and suffering because all you're doing is searching within yourself. All you're doing is looking within or looking within creation and when pain and suffering comes, when difficulty comes, well, you've got nowhere to turn. There's no higher authority and so what's the ultimate for this? If anything terrible happens, suicide, death. That's all you can really turn to, taking your own life. So again, this, is, this gets pretty messed up if this is what God is actually like. But let's take a look in the Bible. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I'll accomplish all my purpose. I'll accomplish everything that I set out to do. And that God is still accomplishing everything that he set out to do. Everything. What about this one? Colossians 1.17 And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. All things hold together. When floodwaters come, in Jesus, all things hold together. This is something to put our security in and our trust in, is it not? The God who interlocks with the earth doesn't just leave us sitting on our own. Two examples of the providence of God. Uh, the first one we're going to look at is in uh, Genesis 3. God sustains and preserves the curse and the clothing. Genesis 3 is when the fall happens. When Adam and Eve have, uh, well Eve's eaten a fruit, Adam stood by and done nothing and, uh, and they get ashamed and they try to cover themselves with leaves and God comes for his walk in the garden in the evening. In the cool of the evening, God comes and uh, takes a walk in the garden. And, uh, and in the end, everything happens. He asks questions of Adam. Adam doesn't take responsibility, tries to shift the blame. Eve tries to shift the blame. All this goes on. they fail failed God, basically, and they've rebelled against him. And God could right then, he has, he's within his rights to just go, well, right, I'm gone, I'm out of here. They isn't. I'm, I'm going to separate myself. You, just, you guys just work this out on your own. But instead, God actually brings a curse. Now, that doesn't sound great, and it's not great. But it is great because that curse actually points to leading up to Jesus. What does he say to the serpent? The serpent, uh, you are going to strike his heel and he will crush your head. Now, some would say that that's actually pointing to Jesus. He's going to bruise Jesus' heel. Satan's going to bruise Jesus' heel and uh, his body. But in the end, Jesus is going to crush Satan. It's going to be all done. So, right there, you've got the fact that God actually sustains and preserves up until that point. So, this curse actually brings about uh, life, ultimately, uh, through Jesus. And then the clothing. God doesn't just leave his creation on their own. He comes and he actually gives them clothes and he sends them out to go and do work. So, here's God, not just leaving his creation, but coming very well planned. He's got a plan even when the things stuff up and when Adam and Eve... uh, Destroy the uh, destroy the relationship. Uh, God comes in with a plan, a very definite plan. And here's the second one: God cooperates and works within creation. God cooperates and works within creation. So He's not just God up in the sky pointing His finger and doing this, doing that. But He actually cooperates and works within uh, the creation. Acts chapter two, verse twenty-three: This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and full knowledge of God. Jesus was actually given up, delivered up, to be killed according to the plan of God. Jesus was killed. His death was actually part of God's plan. It wasn't just a random, ah, dang, it all went wrong. I better work out how these people are going to get fixed up and put back together. No, no, no. This was part of the plans of God before anything was created, that Jesus would one day come and redeem people. Why? Is it because we're the most important? Is it because we're central to all that God is? No, we're important, but no, it's his glory. What would glorify him most other than him laying down his life for other people? Man, that is glorifying. That's lifting up God to the place that he truly deserves. That's, Man, it's incredible. Jesus' death was planned and God knew about it before it happened. He wasn't delivered up because he was weak. He wasn't, ah man, Jesus, you've just been beaten up, you better get to the cross. (laughs) You've got nowhere else to go, you're so weak, you've got nothing left. No, he wasn't just delivered up because he was weak and couldn't save himself. It was because of the pre-ordered plans of God. This is an incredible thought. You think about the plans of God in saving us and his uh, son actually being killed. And think about the plans of God being actually worked out in your own life today. Jesus' death wasn't an accident. It didn't just accidentally happen. Oh, man, what am I going to do now? Better raise him from the dead. No, no, this was a plan. God worked and caused those evil dudes to actually take Jesus and kill him because that was him working out his ultimate plan. And think about this for a moment, foreknowledge. Uh, To foresee an event would be like risk management. If you're a teacher uh, and if you're a student at a school, then you'd know there's plenty of risk management. Uh, so you're last to go and jump off a building, no sorry that's not part of the risk management, <laughs> I didn't include that part. Uh, so risk management has just gone nuts these days hasn't it? So you've got to go and make a risk management in case a branch falls on a kid or in case they're walking along a concrete ground and they slip off and they hurt themselves, you've got to have it managed and risked. All these things you have to try to foresee in case they happen, you don't know that they're going to happen but in case they happen. But God's not like that, see, because he has full knowledge. He knows what will happen and he plans accordingly and brings about his plans so that these things happen. So, he's not a God who foresees an event and maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. No, he's a God who very detailed and precisely plans all these things so that they come into accordance with his will. Uh, it's, it's a bit like a uh, husband and a date, all right, a husband taking his wife on a date. And maybe you could think about it, a boyfriend taking a girlfriend on a date. And uh, the husband walks into a house and, uh, and he says, Hey, honey, I'm home. Just want to take you on a date tonight. Wife goes, have you worked out a babysitter? Ah, no, no, I better do that. Ring the brother. Hey, bro, you going to come out and babysit? No, I can't. Oh, man. All right, ring someone else. So, I ring someone and finally works out, yeah, okay, I'm gonna, uh, I've got a babysitter. Then, uh, then he goes and he gets ready. The wife's getting ready and, uh, and he goes and sits in the car. Ah, 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 ah. He's sitting on the horn. Come on, you ready or what? Get in the car, hurry up. And, uh, and the wife gets in the car and, and he says, "Hey, what do you want to do? Unplanned stand. He's messing things up right from the beginning. He never had a plan, all right? And uh, so he's got to have all these knee-jerk responses. So she says, oh, I'd love, love to go to an Italian restaurant in town. My wife's favorite love to go to an Italian restaurant. And, uh, and so and he goes and, and he gets to the door and says, I'd like a table for two. Sorry, we're all booked up. Uh, Again, unplanned Stan. Has no idea about what's going to happen. Hasn't planned about what he'd like to do and uh, where he'd like to take his wife. Doesn't actually know his wife very well because if he was planned and if he knew his wife and loved his wife, then he'd know that uh, she loves Italian restaurants and he'd planned beforehand that uh, I'm going to give him a call and make sure I book a seat and make sure everything's set out. See, uh, God is not no planned (laughs) Stan. God is not no plan, stand and has to sort of change the plans and make everything. It's it's just chaos. It would be chaos. But God has got a plan, Dan. No, not God. God isn't that. This is is a flawed example, but you get the idea. Got a plan, Dan, is husband uh, coming home, and he's got a little bit of foreknowledge, knowing here's where I'd like to go, and here's how I'm going to lead her to get to that place here's the date I really want to bless my wife and I love my wife very much and here's the things I'm going to put in place so that I can take my wife on a date and make sure it's a really, really sweet time. It's going to be amazing. And so he rings the restaurant. He gets a babysitter. He uh, he has flowers waiting at the door. He opens the door for his wife. All these things, he's got a plan and he knows how he's going to get there. Well, God is a bit like that. God's foreknowledge and the carrying out of his decrees the things that he says in his word, the things that he promises to uphold and to preserve and to keep the world, is his will directed by the wise foreknowledge, knowing what's going to happen ahead, of what would be best. He knows what's actually going to be best. If I talk to Ted Hitzke here, I've talked to you many times and I'm blessed by the fact that you don't point your finger at God and say, why have I got cancer? Maybe you've done that before, but ultimately you've come to the point and said, you know what, God, you know what is going to be best. And if this cancer is what's going to be best for me, then I'm happy to walk this road. Maybe that's the same for you. Maybe you've seen points in your life where you've gone, man, I just don't understand this part of my life. You know what, it's not about you. It's about God bringing about his plans. And where he takes you, where he directs you is absolutely no accident. It's not just some random chance. It isn't. Your life right now is on the track that God has set for you and designed for you. Maybe you need to make some more plans. That's what we're about to head into. So, no plan, stand, got a plan, Dan. God sustains and preserves. You know what this means for us? It means that we should make plans means that we shouldn't just sit back and say, all right, God's got it all sweet and he's got it all in control. I'm just going to kick back and he's, he's going to bring about his plans. The truth is he is, but you're not going to be as fruitful as what you could be. If your life is actually about giving glory and making the name of God great, then you're not going to kick back and do nothing. Because that's not going to maximise the glory that God could get from your life. The fact that God cooperates and works within creation means we should plan and carry out plans, not make resolutions that don't get fulfilled, but make resolutions and plan so that those things can be fulfilled. So we can be made great? No. But so that God can be made great. His glory is so paramount in our lives. And us as a church, man, that's what we're all about. We want God to be glorified. We want Jesus to be central in all that we do and say and plan and act out. That's what we want. We desire that. So, let's make some plans and and do it accordingly. Uh, So, this is the idea. Our plans are plans as image bearers. See, God created us, you and me, in his image. And the fact that God plans means that we have this in our lives as well. We don't live in a chaos world. We actually live in a world that needs some plans. And maybe you're sitting there and you're a person who doesn't plan. Uh, Maybe you're sitting there and you're a person who way over plans and uh, there's no room for God to do anything. (laughs) Uh, So here I'm going to hopefully get somewhere in between. Isaiah chapter 30. If you look up Isaiah chapter 30 uh, and you read the whole chapter, you see this whole story about where God takes the people of Israel and, uh, and he talks about how they've planned and they've gone and done their plans but they're not actually his plans. Uh, and he doesn't just leave them. So, again, we see God interjecting within creation to bring about God's plans. So, here's what it says at the start. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine. I wonder if that's you over the last year. Or to this point in your life, you're carrying out plans that you think are great and you think are really excellent, but they're not God's plans. wonder if that's you. wonder if you're actually rebelling against God and God actually wants you to come back and do what he's planned for you, which ultimately is to worship him. Ultimately is to worship him. Isaiah 30 verse 15, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling and you said, no, we will. And you could probably fool out. No, no, God, I'm going to go and do this. You think, you know, really, what's best? No, I'm just going to go do this. The Holy Spirit gives you some sort of leading and direction, go and talk to that person, ring that person, write to that person. No, 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 no. I think I can do this the better way. We're unwilling. How often are we unwilling? I'm unwilling. I'll speak for myself. I'm unwilling a lot of the time to do exactly what God wants me to do. Because I'm scared of what people think, because I'm worried about how I'm going to look and how stupid, whatever. We can be unwilling. But here's what God says. Verse 18, Therefore the Lord waits. He actually waits to be gracious and kind to you. Even in your unwillingness, even in your lack of planning, even in your over-planning and I think I've got everything under control planning, he waits. And he waits to be gracious. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy. What's most important there? Are we... Is he wanting us to be exalted? No, he actually exalts himself, which is really good. He exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So here we go. Our plans as image bearers. wonder who you are today. Are you a person who is unplanned? As I've said, are you a person who is really well planned? Are you a person who is somewhere in between? Maybe you're a really good planner. And that's excellent and we want to learn from you. <laughs> Alright, I hope that uh, people throughout this year in the project, there's going to be lots of people who can actually disciple younger people and this may be a great, great way. Teaching people to plan and plan well for the glory of God, not for our own glory. So pray, pray. If you look at the, uh, the guy Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah in the Bible, is, uh, he was the cupbearer to the king. In, at that time, and, uh, which is a pretty prominent sort of place. Uh, you, that means you drink the wine before uh, the king does, and if you die, well, the king doesn't drink the wine. Um, so, so Nehemiah, he, uh, he, he's working for the king. secular. He's not a Christian king. He's working for the king, and, uh, and one day his heart just breaks for his homeland, Jerusalem. His heart just breaks. God just breaks his heart. And he spends literally about three to four months praying. Praying and seeking God. What is it that you want done with this place? So Jerusalem, the people of Israel are just scattered everywhere. They've gone to America, they've gone to Fiji, they've, gone, they've just gone everywhere, all over the place. And, uh, and man, Nehemiah's his heart breaks. So he spends three to four months praying. Praying and planning. And I wonder how long you actually spend praying. I wonder if you pray for something and think, no, God didn't answer it, so I'm just (laughs) done. Three to four months before anything got actioned. Three to four months of going before the king every day, doing his work, putting on a happy face, because if you didn't have a happy face before the king, he'd kill you. (laughs) So he's got a happy face before the king every day, and he's praying, he's spending late nights, he's losing sleep because he's praying so hard, desperate. Desperate to see what God wants him to do and uh, the plan he's going to make to see Jerusalem rebuilt. And so he prays. And then uh, then he comes before the king one day and he's really sad. And the king can see this. And usually this would be a really bad thing to do before the king. But he's just got his face is downcast and the king says, why is why your face downcast? And right at that moment he prays. I've never seen it before. And it was so incredible when I saw it. It was an instantaneous prayer in the middle of a conversation with the king. And he said, Holy Spirit, oh God, please lead me. I want your name to be glorified. I wonder if you make those sort of prayers. So you're praying for a long, long time. You're actually praying in the midst of everything you're going, going to do, in the midst of all your planning. So you pray. And here's something you could pray. Philippians chapter 3, if you've got your Bible. Be great to uh, crack open there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Because probably the most important question for a Christian and for a follower of Jesus when they plan is how will Jesus actually be central to the plans that I make? Because it's not wrong to plan. Right? I made this whole idea that if all we're doing is planning for ourselves so that we can be in control, then that's wrong. We're idolising ourselves. But if we're actually planning, so that the glory of God may be made great, so that we can be the most fruitful in whatever ministry and whatever vocation and calling God has us in. And that, that is what is excellent. That's where we're heading. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Uh, and I haven't actually got it here. Is someone able to read that? Yeah, that'd be sweet. <coughs> But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, everything a loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So in all of our planning, in all of our thinking about what's 2012 going to be about, what's 2012 going to be like, how are we going to plan so that all these things I'd like to see happen can happen? Well, in all your planning, pray, Jesus, that I might know you. Above everything else, that everything else would be like garbage. Everything else would be like poo compared to knowing Jesus Christ. That I would gain him. And I would know him deeply. Man, this, this is hugely central to when we make plans. God-centered plans and God-motivated motivi- plans. Honor the Lord. There's three things. Honor the Lord, bless the planner, and benefit others. If God is actually central in your plans, if Jesus is central in your plans, then your plans should honor him. They'll be a blessing for you and they'll bless others, they'll benefit others. It won't be so you can get to the top of the rank. It won't be so you can get to the top of the food chain. But it'll be so God can be right at the top. Here's an interesting thought as I, uh, as I looked at this was... Um, when I've thought about prioritising my life, it's the next point, prioritise. I've thought about prioritising my life and you sort of think, yeah, I'm going to have God at the top, then I'm going to have my wife and family, then I'm going to have my vocation, whatever I'm doing, uh, the church, all the things involved there. So you're prioritising. This is, this is important, this is valuable, but I've, I read somewhere and it said, uh, well, if God's at the top of your list, then maybe he's not actually central in the rest of your list, which is actually where he needs to be. So you should be at the top of your list and central to every other little part of your list. If our lives don't revolve around us, if our lives actually revolve around God and his glory, then he's going to be central in everything we do. So you prioritise. What are the most important things in your life? Because if you don't plan them, life will plan it for you. And the most important things are the things that will most likely be missed out. If your life is unplanned, then that is, uh, that's what I would suggest. <coughs> then go and get to planning. And this is the part that maybe some people find difficult. Uh, so it's great to get some counsel, find some help, ask somebody, find out how can I plan my life better so that God will be glorified. Talk to someone who's organised. Uh, if you want to talk to me, I'd love to give you the tips I've learnt so far. But uh, as I said, I'm still learning and I've got plenty to learn. I want to learn. Man, I want to plan things so that God will be glorified. I don't want our lives just to be random. Random is such an in-word at the moment, is it not? Oh yeah, it's so random, man. Nah, you've got no idea. You flip a coin and God knows about it. He knows what's going to come out on that coin. It's not random. Anyway, so get some Good counsel. Take risks. If God is the God who has everything planned and everything coming about, he's fulfilling his purposes in everything that goes on, then we can take risks. We don't, not stupid risks like jumping off a building for our own gain and for our own glory. Not stupid risks like riding a motorbike and jumping and doing stupid stuff. That's a risk pretty well only for me. I get adrenaline and people love me. But if I'm taking a risk so that others might see Jesus Christ glorified in my life, so others might see Jesus Christ for who he truly is, if I'm taking a risk for that, maybe God's calling me to go and leave my family all around me and go to another country. I don't know. That could be something God's calling you to. That's not very secure. But it is if God's actually the one who plans out and has things coming about in his way. Man, there's security, great security in that. So we can take great risks for God. And even though it will be scary, like that's, that's a normal human emotion to be scared, even though it will be scary, ultimately we can trust that God's going to bring about his plans. Talk to uh, Doug Boyle. Some of you may have known uh, he was here uh, probably a month, two months ago. And they came and uh, they shared in our church here And Doug Boyle is a guy who started a Teen Challenge over in Kazakhstan, um, which is probably one of the most hostile places you could go as a Christian. It's just not a place you'd go as a Christian. And uh, his trip back here was so he could have an operation to deal with his health. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but he had word just before he left, only a month ago, just before he left, that if he went back into Kazakhstan, he had a death warrant on his life. They would kill him. As he, went into, as he went into the country, they would kill him. So, what does he do? He goes back. <laughs> he doesn't go to Kazakhstan. He goes to Georgia, uh, where there's some opportunity for him to share the gospel. Still risky. Still risky. They could find out he's there. Who knows what could happen? But clearly, the glory of God and his trust in the God who brings about his purposes and that nobody can thwart God's purposes. Nobody can stuff them up. Nobody can mess them about. Nobody. No natural disaster, no terrorist could ever stuff God's plans up. So we can have great trust. We can have great hope in the fact that God is going to bring about all that he wants to bring about. And aspire to leadership and prominence. Sometimes we think that uh, as a Christian we just need to be humble and we just need to you know, have small plans and you know, not, not do anything too huge. No way. Man, if we're the people of God and God is as huge as he is and we can take huge risks that nobody else is willing to take and you can aspire to be incredibly great in your job, you can aspire to be incredibly prominent, People are actually looking to you. Why? So you can be like, "Yeah, look at me. Look at look at how great I am at my job. Look at how organized I am." If that's all you're doing it for, you're stuffing it up. That's not humble. But can you be humble in the highest of positions? Absolutely. Nehemiah was a guy who was a servant, but he became the leader of rebuilding a whole city. A whole city. He led. God just made a way and, uh, man, all the plans that he had came about. God put all the plans together. He got the timber. He got all the resources he needed. The king, the secular king, the non-Christian king gave him all these resources, gave him his backing. So Nehemiah goes from being a servant to being someone of great prominence and who had great impact on the people around him. So plan knowing and pray knowing that God could actually take you to something great and you should aspire for that. Don't be afraid of that. If you're doing it for pride reasons, then be afraid because you're going to (laughs) fall. But if you're doing it so that God will be glorified, man, do that. If you can have greater influence on people, get into that for the glory of God. Get into that and then execute your plans. So, it's all great to plan and have a plan and to have news resolutions and to plan them out. But if those plans never actually come about because you sit on your backside and do nothing, what's the point? (laughs) You spent great time in prayer. You might be closer to God. You might be depending upon him. But uh, you actually need to go out and execute your plans. And it's right to do so. Why? Because God is working within creation to bring about his sovereign plans. Because he's a God who is wise and he knows exactly what the future holds and we can trust him as we walk into what he holds for us in the future. So Jeremiah 29.11, I often hear this verse quoted. If you look at that verse in context, uh, the plan for those people was to spend another, I don't know how many years, in captivity. That was God's plan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Well, guess what? They were in captivity for another however many years before they got to uh, a place of enjoyment, a <laughs> place of delight. So you don't know, yes, God has great plans for you. Does that mean everything's going to be rosy and sweet? No. In fact, we should expect that this year things aren't going to go the way we thought they would. But do we trust in a God who is very much active, who is very much involved in his creation? Yes, we do. He is faithful. You look at history. You go back and look through history and see the way that God has brought about his plans the fulfilment in Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that was the fulfilment of all his plans. And his ultimate plan is that all these things would come unto him. Unplanned stand, that's foolish. Please don't be foolish. I don't want to be foolish. Flying Solo, Isaiah 30, you made plans but they're not mine. (laughs) Don't make plans apart from God. Make plans, pray about them. Do you get bitter when your plans are overruled by God's plans? Don't get bitter. Don't get bitter. Trust. Trust that God is the God who's going to bring about uh, all these things for good. Instead, let your prayer be. Let our prayer be. 1 Chronicles 19, 13. Be strong and let us use our strength for our people and for the cities of our God. And... Here it is, may the Lord do what seems good to him. Let this be your prayer. In all of your plans, make plans, make good plans, make solid plans, make precise plans, but may the Lord do what seems good to him. You know what, this is a sure way that whatever happens in 2012, whatever happens, you'll come through because you know what, God, you're doing what pleases you and I trust you in this. I trust you in this finish with this quote. It is one thing to make a resolution. It is something completely different to repent, diligently seek counsel, and in concert with others, develop a plan that is concrete and Christ-centered. The heart of any plan, of course, must be Jesus Christ. Self-control is like any other feature of wisdom in that it is learned by contemplating a person. Rather than give us 12 steps on which to rely, he gives us a person to know. Jesus Christ. As Jesus is known and exalted among us, you'll notice that self-control becomes more obvious. That's from Ed Walsh. So, uh, we're in a process of planning at the moment here at the project. Planning for what God has for us in 2012. and uh, I'm looking forward to all that God would have for us in 2012 and I would appreciate, we would appreciate your prayers as we pray for that. I hope that we can pray together for us as a people uh, that we would get in and do all the things that God's calling us to. And when the steering goes off our path, that we would pursue God even further as he takes us in another direction. So uh, we would appreciate your prayers in that. In community groups in particular, we would love your prayers. So that we can plan so that community groups would be as fruitful as they possibly could. So that our mission as we go out out of here as the project would be as fruitful as possible and that many, 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 many people would come to know Jesus. That's what our hope is. That's what we desire here at the project. And uh, that lots of people would be discipled, that young people within our church would be discipled really well and, uh, and grow up to be fruitful and mature. So let me pray and uh, we'll finish up there. God, you are so incredibly huge and, uh, and I love the way that you just weave your tapestry all the way throughout history. Your plans, eternity past and into eternity future will surely come about. You're a God who is faithful. We see that in Jesus. You talked about him in the Old Testament and he came and he did his job right there in the New Testament. And Jesus, you're still doing your job right now. You're ruling and reigning on high. It's a proof of your faithfulness, God, and that you're bringing about your plans. So, Lord God, as uh, as we walk out from here, whoever we are, whatever we're doing, God, I pray that we would be a people who are well-planned, not because we want to be great, not because we want to be tight and, uh, and can't shift from our plans, but, God, because we want to be the most fruitful we can be for your glory and so that your name would be made great here at the project. So I pray, God, for great fruitfulness that we come. For us who uh, don't know how to plan, who find it difficult to plan, please, Holy Spirit, lead us, help us. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit, God, to come and counsel us, to come and help us as we make plans for your glory. Commit us to you, Lord, and, uh, and pray for your blessing over each of us as we head out from here today. Amen. Amen.